Welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finkson. How many of you have life figured out? Right? You know what to do? You know when to do it? You know why it's to be done, right? It's all, it's all relative, right? For the rest of us who don't have it quite figured out yet, life is sometimes tough. Sometimes it stretches, stretches us. For us, for we who live in an information age, how many of you still feel really dumb? Me too. And yet I'm discovering that according to statistics, knowledge is doubling every 18 months. There's more information now digitally than recording in all the libraries of the earth. We're living in a digital age and dumber than we've ever been. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about mysteries. Mysteries. In the New Testament, the word, the Greek word for mysteries is mysterion. And that literally means truth which human intellect could never discover, but now has been made known by divine revelation. It's used 28 times in the New Testament. It's not, it's not something man would have ever come up with for himself. It's the truth that must be revealed by God. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says this, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Verse 14 of that same chapter says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If you have your Bibles, I want you to, to mark Matthew thirteen eleven because this is the promise I want us to take hold of. The context is that the disciples were asking Jesus why he taught using parables. And in verse 11 of Matthew 13, he said this, He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Here's the promise I want you to grab hold of and ask the Lord to make real to you. It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That's what God has for you. And there's some that will never get it because they're going to try to get it man's way. God wants to reveal to you truth that comes only by divine revelation. There's some things in life that are absolute truth, but neither science nor man can explain. Today, in the next 25 minutes, I'm going to explain to you God. The mystery of God. Ready? Okay. The mystery of God. And uh, the point that I'm trying to say is that you, that neither you nor anyone else can understand God apart, God apart from God revealing Himself to you. John 1, 18, Jesus said this, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. No one has seen God at any time. 
I want to look at the Christian understanding of God. And here's the thing that I got, because most of us don't think deeply about God. We just talk to Him. We don't think for ourselves. We take what we've been taught by others. Let's just be honest, don't we? We just kind of, well, I was raised up to believe God was this and this and this. What about us just going back to Scripture and letting God express Himself? And here's what I'll tell you. We're going to be talking about a Christian revelation of God. Because it's different from the Muslim revelation of God, Allah. It's even different from the Jewish revelation of Jehovah. The Christian revelation of God is unique. In a very real way, it's unique. It's not to be understood by the reasonings of man, but by the revelation of God. God Himself, the only way we will know it is that we understand that God Himself has said certain things about Himself that it's not reasonable, rational. Man would have never come up with it because He's God and we're not. So, I want us to look at at the revelation of God, the mystery of God. But in doing that, I want to make two summary statements that we're going to be using over and over. The, and they're absolute, they're simple, they're short, but they're big. Okay? So here's the first one. What God is, only God is. What God is, only, is, only God is that. The second statement kind of clarifies the first. God does what He does because He is who He is. Now, here's the point. A lot of times, we make a God out of what we think has been done. Let me just show you. For God so loved the world, and so we would say certain things. But here's the thing. It, God isn't God because He creates. He creates because He's God. He does what He does because He is who He is. We don't have a God because there's a creation. Because there's a God, there's a creation. Not vice versa. So, who God is, what God is, only God is. And we'll get more in that in a moment. God does what He does because He is who He is. I want you to read those statements with me. What God is... And God does what He does because He is who He is. Now, the reason I want I want you to think about that. We don't think anymore for ourselves. We let everybody else tell us what to think. If you don't know something, you just Google it, right? You do realize that you're letting somebody else tell you their truth. And God wants to reveal Himself to you. In a very real way. We have safeguards in the scripture. And they'll say, isn't it amazing? We don't go to the Bible for truth anymore. We go to the Google. And if you go to Google and Google God, you'll get a lot of responses. So we're going to talk about what God is, only God is. That's the thing, the mystery of God. God God speaks through Isaiah to Cyrus, a pagan king. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. And here's what God himself says through Isaiah the prophet to the pagan king. 
I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you though you have not known me. That they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Who God is, what God is, only God is. God himself has said, there's not anybody else. There's no other. I'm going to go through some statements because I want you to think, and I want to show you through the revelation of Scripture, who God says He is. First of all, the first one is God is being. And note I didn't say He's a being. God is being. God is self-existent, independent, and autonomous. We here's the when God, when Moses asked God His name. What did, what did God say to Moses? I am that I am. In other words, I'm being. I'm the self-existent one. I'm independent of everything, and I'm autonomous. I can do anything. I am that I am. Well, here's the, let me just say this. When God said I am, everybody else has to say I'm not. Everything else from the I am comes into existence because of His being. He is being. That means He's eternal. Now listen to me. God doesn't exist in eternity. Eternity exists because of God. He is being. God does what He does because He is who He is. All things came into being because God is being, not a being. And here's the next point. The being of God is never passive. It's always active. He's always active. God always acts out of His own being. He acts in accordance with His with who He is, consistent with His own character. Let me show you in Genesis. It's going to be on your screen. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So this is saying the independent, self-existent God created. Because He is who He is, He did something. He did something. But He not only did something, He did it in accordance with His own character. Because in verse 4 it says, And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God is creator. That's how he's revealed himself. And he's also, he's good. So God creates, when God creates, he creates always according to his own character. Which is goodness. So what I'm trying to say, try to get you to think through is, God's not good because he does good things. He does good things because he's good. And let me just tell you this, good is defined by His character, not ours. Good is defined by His opinion, let's say it that way, His truth, not our opinion. He creates according to His being, consistent with His own character, goodness. So God exists, He's self-existent, independent, autonomous. God has revealed Himself that way, there is no other. The Christian definition or the Christian revelation of God, the second point is God is persons. 
That doesn't sound good in English. God is persons. But it's how he's revealed himself throughout the New Testament. Now listen to me. We're talking about a Christian understanding of God. Because you have other people that would argue with this. But God has revealed himself according to the scripture. As persons. The truth was hidden in the Old Testament. That's the mystery that Paul keeps talking about that's been now been revealed. Let me just see if I can help you understand it. The truth was hidden in the Old Testament, although it was present in their language. The word translated God in Genesis 1-1 is Elohim. Now, here's the thing. When, when I read God, but the word El, when I read God and I see that Elohim is how it's been translated from the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is used 2,600 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot of times. Elohim is a masculine plural noun. It's plural. But it's used usually with a singular verb. What that means is God has revealed himself by what he's done. But by what he's done shows that he's more than they knew. Let me show it to you in another passage in Genesis. Genesis 1.26, it's stated clearly. And God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let us make man. Let us. And yet, the Jew believes there's only one God. His name is Jehovah. And let me tell you why. (laughs) Because... Uh, that's why they reject Jesus. In the New Testament, God, the revelation of God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1, 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. By Him, all things were created, and He is before all things, and in Him, all things consist. It's talking about Jesus. Well, wait a minute. That sounds like God. God is a relational, personal being who's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The relational personhood is distinctive to the Christian understanding of God. God is a communion of persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Relating to one another in a common union. The person of the Father, person of God the Father, can only be defined in relation to the person of God the Son. And their persons can only be defined in relation to God the Holy Spirit. So let me, let me see if I can give you an illustration. It's inadequate. The illustration is inadequate. It's not going to prove anything except to help maybe understand the relational aspect of God's revelation. I am a father person. Because I have two daughters. But I could not be known as a father person if I was not in a relationship with a mother person. And because I'm in a relationship with a mother person, there can be a child person. 
Now, I, I, I know. But you see, here's the point. I would never be known as a father person without the relationship with the mother person and the child person. You understand? I'm just trying to get you to think. So when God says that He is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, He's talking about a relational, personal being who exists, self-existent, in three expressions, persons, of who He is. And He's much more than an expression. It's persons. God is revealed. And you say, well... Well, you know, not even Jesus Christ. Yes, he did. God, is, God has revealed himself as a personal being, as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that brings us to the God is one. Well, I thought you said he was three. God is one. Preacher, you're really confusing me. No, I'm not. If you understand, when God said he brought Eve to Adam and he said, he brought her and he says, they two shall be one flesh. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Adam and Eve become one person? No, they became something together that they were not separate. So oneness that we're talking about here, God is one. It's not one among many. He's the only one. But he's not one speaking in singular mathematical terms. Because when we think one, we think of the digit one. The integer of singleness. When God says he's one, it's one in relational oneness. Jesus said this, I and the Father are... Do you know he prayed the same thing for us, that we would be one as he and the Father were one? So what he's talking about is a relational oneness. I and the Father are one. That's John 10.30. Now, you'd think, well, that's okay. But the Jews didn't think it was okay. In fact, if you go down to verse 33, they're going to stone him. They're going to kill him. And Jesus says, which of the works that I've done, which of the good works that I've done are you going to stone me for? And he said, we're not going to stone you because you've done something good. We're going to stone you because, look, you make yourself... You being a man, make yourself out to be God. They understood completely that when Jesus said, I am, he was making himself out to be God himself. Now, either he's a liar and a lunatic or he's Lord. Now, listen, I'm talking about God's revelation of himself. I'm not saying man could ever come up with this on his own. God has revealed Himself. They're going to stone Him because they, he, was, he was declaring Himself to be God. Here's the thing that I want you to... That Jesus was saying they were one in relational being. I love this. Before, Jesus said this, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say I was. In fact, if you look in John's gospel, seven times Jesus uses the same word that was used that God that God gave Moses. I am that I am. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Seven times he goes, I'm the good shepherd. God is one. So we've talked about God is being, God is persons, God is one, God is spirit. Now listen to me. 
Jesus tells a woman at the well, John 4:24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Not God is a spirit. God is spirit. He's not a spiritual force, nor am I saying that God is spiritual so he's invisible. I'm not saying that he's invisible, though he is. But that's not how the word is used here. The word used for spirit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are words that are speaking of dynamic action or dynamic activity. Go back to Genesis. As soon as it said that God created the heavens and the earth, it says in verse 2, And the spirit hovered or moved over the waters. The spirit was doing something. It was a dynamic activity. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. And he breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being. He breathed. In other words, he blew. The Old Testament and the New Testament word for spirit is always moving. It's always accomplishing. It's always doing something. New Testament, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. He said, I, don't, I can't understand it. And here's what he says. And, and uh, let me see where the reference is. In John 3, it says, the wind blows where it will. And then later on, he says, so is everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows. It's, it's a dynamic activity that God is up to something by, by him being spirit. Jesus was telling the Samaritan woman that God is the personal, relational spirit being of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And real worship, now listen, this, is, this blew me away. Real worship is personal, relational, and spiritual. It's not just singing songs. It's an attitude and a, and a response of a heart. It's personal, it's relational, and it's spiritual. That's why Jesus said, God's seeking, the Father's seeking those, that kind of worship in spirit and in truth. God is being, God is persons, God is one, God is spirit. I've almost got him covered, you ready? God is love. 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That doesn't mean that God's lovely, though He is. Doesn't mean that He's worth loving by others, though He is. Nor does it mean that God is loving, though He is. Remember, <laughs> He does what He does because He is who He is. And who God is, what God is, He alone is. Let me tell you something. There would be no definition of love apart from God. Would you agree with me that most humanity has lost its definition of love? It's become whatever man wants it to be. But God is very specific. God is love. God's love is not just a feeling of sentimentality that was willing to come help out disadvantaged humanity. God is love. Listen to me. God is love before John 3.16. C.S. Lewis wrote this, uh, the pastors that are meeting together on Tuesday mornings, we, we're, reading back, we're reading through mere Christianity. And C.S. Lewis wrote this. I want to give you a statement because I think it says what, we're trying to say, what I'm trying to say. God is love 
has no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Because love is something that one person has for another. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. What Christians mean by the statement that God is love is that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. What an incredible statement. We don't even... You see, when I think of God as love, I think God loves. I don't see... I think love is a result of of God's action. I don't see that that's the essence of His being. What God is, only God is. God does what He does because He is who He is. God is... God's love is a relational love. He didn't need a man to love for him to become loving. He was already love in his being, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. Because eternity exists in him. It's amazing. Before the foundation of the earth, Jesus was crucified. How? How? But it's the revelation. Before Abraham was, I am. It's what God has revealed Himself to be. And let me tell you, it gives us stability and hope and salvation. Because it's in Him. In Him we live and move and have our being. To say God is love means that God is a being for others. Now here's the thing. God God has revealed this. Love is always other-oriented. Giving yourself to the other. God always acts out of His being of love. His love is not just sentiment or a feeling. It's not just benevolent kindness. It's the giving of Himself for others. God is always extending to others by giving Himself completely to their highest good. But listen to me. That doesn't mean God's love is compromising. He cannot deny Himself. He will always act in accordance with his own character. There's something God's there's some things God hates. Satan, sin, religion. Why? Because they don't line up according to his own character. You see, sin is not sin because somebody messed up. Sin is anything that doesn't line up with the character of a holy God. Who has revealed himself. It's opposition to him. Love is always others oriented. Anything contrary to the character of who God has revealed himself to be. Is sin. And I, I just discovered this. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness. Because love is always others-oriented. The opposite of others-oriented is to be self-oriented. Well, why does God hate Satan? Because he's self-oriented. Why does God hate sin? Because it's self-oriented. Why does God hate religion? Because it's self-oriented. In other words, God is self-himself for others. Hate is... Self for self. 
Because God is who He is as love, He does what He does in giving Himself for others because He fully recognizes that the best thing for us is Him. The highest need of created beings is always the presence and the activity of the Creator. For God so loved, He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe. God does not withhold His self-giving love from any who would receive Him. Now, I've covered these. Let me just say, you know we could go on and on about God, right? You could say God is life. Not in the biological sense, but in the essence of spiritual life. God is the Father, has life in Himself. John 5, 26. Jesus the Son declares, I'm the life. Let John 11, 25, 14, 6. The Spirit gives life. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all there being life. God is truth. The Father is the true God. First John 5, 20. He cannot lie. Titus 1, 2. Said, he said, I'm the truth. And the, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. And the Spirit is the Spirit of truth, John fourteen seventeen. I could, you could just go on. God has revealed Himself in Scripture as being persons, spirit, love, life, truth. God is eternal. He's infinite. He's unchanging. He's immortal. He's gracious. He's good. He's forgiving. He's righteous. He's faithful. He's Savior. He's sovereign. And here's the thing. Romans eight thirty two. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, as God, as He's revealed Himself, is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Most of the, thing, most of the time we think God is just going to give out things to us. Let me tell you what God does. He gives Himself to us. Because that's the greatest thing we need. Everything else God is going to give us is out of Himself. The question is, do you know Him? Have you received Him as He's revealed Himself? Or have we made God in our image after our likeness? God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't send good people to hell. Well, it's just according to who you define good by. God God loves those who help themselves. Hmm. God helps those who help themselves. You do know that's not scriptural, right? That's the revelation of man, not the revelation of God. Well, preacher, what you, let me, many of us have a God that we can blame when things don't go our way. Do you know Him as He's revealed Himself to be? Or do you know Him as you've been taught He was? Here's the thing. John 1.12 says, As many as received Him, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right 
to be the children of God. Even to those who believe on His name. You know, a God made in your own image according to your likeness, according to your own reasoning, would be an awful little God. In fact, it'll be a false God. What I wanted you to see is the mystery as God has revealed Himself. And let me tell you something. That's not all who He is. That's just all He's revealed. God is not limited by your understanding or limited by the revelation we've had up until this time. If you'll just turn your attention to Him, He'll make Himself known to you. Here's, my, here's the thing that I've been praying God, I want to know you as you are, not as I think you are. Well, I just can't understand. The mystery of it is, you could never understand if He doesn't give you understanding by revelation. So we're going to have to let God be God and us be the one who receives it. Hebrews eleven 6, I'll close with this. It's impossible to please God apart from faith, believing. Why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that He exists and that He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. You say, you just can't understand God. You can understand as much as He's revealed Himself. Do you even want to know that? Do we really want to know Him? Are we comfortable with Him being what we want Him to be? And I can hear somebody saying, well, if God is good and God is love and God is one and God is persons, why is there evil in the world? Next week we're going to talk about the mystery of evil according to God's Word. The mystery of iniquity. But this morning, I want to set you up to be a receiver of revelation. God, when you said I am, that meant I'm not. I want to know you. The only way that I'll ever know you is that you reveal yourself to me. And here's my heart. I want to say yes to you with anything you say to me. That's called confident assurance, which is faith. I trust you. I believe you. Because I recognize the best thing for me is you. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? As He's revealed Himself to be the crucified one who took your sins on the cross in order that the God of love could forgive you and, and, and be in a relationship. It literally, He invites us into that relational being. He invites us into the communion of persons to know Him. What Paul said in Philippians, Chris, that I may know Him. Stand with me. Father, we come to You trusting You to reveal Yourself to us. Father, I thank You that while You call it a mystery, we are, we are determined to understand as much as You choose to reveal. We set our heart on You. And Lord, whatever you have for us our answer is yes 
So, Lord, in any way that I've not lined up with your character and with your revelation, I ask you to transform my life. Reveal yourself to me. That you might reveal yourself through me to others. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.